0: Glory to God, it is good to see you all here this morning. Before we get started on things, how many were not here last Sunday? One, two, three, a couple of... There were a couple of folks that were not here last Sunday. All right, Thought a little more than we, we had. So just to uh, catch you all up where we were at last week, Daryl has uh, something ready for us we showed at the end of the service. So if we're okay with that, we're going to go ahead and show that at the beginning. Uh, we're still in the same series that we've been on, but we're, we're gearing up for something in particular and getting ourselves right for this. We want you to make sure to get a chance to see this and then we have something else for you at the end of the service to go along with this. We wanted to, to have this for you get a chance to get, make sure everybody's on the same page as folks that were here last week. Sometimes, you know, we kind of assume everybody was here, caught up with, or so forth from the, the week before. Continue on that same theme for just a little bit. Over in Luke chapter 14, over in verse 1 is where we are going to begin. There was a pastor who had a parrot and no matter what the pastor did, everything he tried to do, this parrot would only say, let us pray, let us pray. He tried all kinds of things, took it to trainers, wouldn't do any good. All the things that this parrot would say was, let us pray, let us pray. He got word that somebody in the church, there was a deacon in the church, and they had a parrot too, but this parrot, all it would say, only thing it would say was, let's kiss, let's kiss. That's all he would say. wouldn't say anything else. he always say, let's kiss, let's kiss. So he got the idea, invited the deacon to come over to his house for dinner. And they put the two parrots in the same cage together. And sure enough, just as you would think, the deacon's parrot said, let's kiss, let's kiss. And the pastor's parrot said, thank God my prayers have been answered. <laughs> well, we're talking about invitations. We want you to not just invite people over for dinner. We want you to invite them out to church. For good reasons and for good purposes. Share the gospel with them. Well, I'll look last week at the woman at the well. The woman at the well, Jesus came to the well, came to a place where not too many Jewish people wanted to really fellowship or talk with people. But he came to the well and his disciples went into town to get stuff. You know, check out the Popeye's fried chicken. Bring, up, bring over some Some food. Uh, Jesus was sitting there by himself and they said he was thirsty and a woman came to the well and he said, can you give me a drink of water? And, and they had this discourse and they had this conversation of things and yeah, he began to get some revelation into our life. Told you that God will give us natural insights in the lives of people around us for the purpose of bringing them to the light, not for the purpose of condemning them. Make sure you stay within the purpose that he gives. And as he was sharing these things with her, she immediately began to distract and pull into another question. She said, talk about, should we worship at this mountain or on that mountain and so forth and understand this. So when you begin to invite the world out to church, when you begin to invite them out to to have Jesus in their heart, when you share the gospel with the heathens that are out there or people that have walked away from church or whatever they're doing, they will generally come back and ask you questions. that give no light at all. They'll ask you things about creation. They'll ask you things about the universe. They will ask you things about the oceans. They will ask you things about animals that have gone extinct. They will ask you questions about marriage. They will ask you questions about end times. They will ask you all kinds of questions except for those that are relevant to where they live. They won't ask you those. And so what you have to do is do like Jesus did and take them from these questions that give no light and bring them back to the light. Because really, if you're heathen, what does it matter if Jesus is coming... Pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. It makes no difference because he's not coming for you anyway. And sometimes you just got to tell him that. Well, what difference does it make? Where he's coming. He's not coming for you. And, you, said, you know, just, I, well, it sounds mean. That sounds harsh. No, you, these people are going to hell. You need to wake them up. They start talking about, well, was there a world before this? Is the world only 6,000 years old? Say, it does not matter how old the earth is. What matters is that you are such and such an age and you are about ready to enter into the next life. Are you ready? Bring it back to home. Just just bring it on back to to where they they do. And and remind me, because at the end of the service, we're going to be talking about how to invite people out to church. And what's always fun is we're going to show you the wrong way to do it. We'll get to that at the end of the church here. But uh, the woman went into the city and she talked to all the men that were in the city and brought them all out and a whole host of people came on out we were telling you that one of the observations that people had made from that was that she came in the middle part of the day and people came from work and in that section lot the, of the, what they wore for work were these white linen garments and so when they said to the disciples turn and look for see the fields are white unto the harvest they saw a whole mess of men coming in white linen garments down, down the road to hear the gospel but sometimes we think that, how many of all have we always thought that, well, harvest takes a long time? You know, you've got to keep sowing and sowing and sowing into the lives of people and eventually somewhere down the road, you'll, you'll crack the nut and people will finally, you know, come to church with you or accept Jesus or listen to something. How many have ever thought that, begin to have those feelings? Jesus was saying, you know, you know, you plant four months, you're going to have a harvest, is what he said to them. But I tell you now, lift up your eyes and see for the fields are already white unto harvest. What Jesus is trying to tell him is it doesn't always take a long time. And he started working on this woman and in one hour she went into the city, got a whole mess of people and brought them on out and they had revival. They asked Jesus to stay. How long did that take? We got to get out of this mentality. It says that the only way we're going to get a harvest is if we keep sowing and sowing. It's going to be a long, long time because people are just hard. People just don't want the gospel. You got to get rid of that. Jesus is telling you, I don't tell you four months. I'm telling you, harvest is quick. Harvest does not always take a long time. But let's take a look over here. This is an invitation that was given out or a story about an invitation that Jesus gave. In Luke chapter 14, verse 1. Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had drop seed. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent and he He took him and healed him and let him go. And then he answered them saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. And we know that he dealt with this before, healing on the Sabbath. But this time he has an invitation to be at the home of a Pharisee. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to come on over. Now that... You may think that well, maybe they were curious, maybe they were still open at this time, but it's not so because they they give an invitation to um to other Pharisees. They give an invitation to Jesus, and for some reason they give an invitation to this man with dropsy. Why do you think they gave an invitation to the man with dropsy? It was purpose. They to see what Jesus would do, because they were trying to catch him. So this man he had dropsy, but he also had an invitation. Good when you got an invitation, and he came. He came. I wonder if we get to heaven, we can ask the guy with dropsy. You know, by them we'll know his name. Why'd you go? Going to a bunch of stuck-up Pharisees' homes? For maybe he went because Jesus was going. I wonder if they even sowed something in. Hey, maybe if you come, he'll heal you. Because <laughs> he wanted them to, so they could uh, jump on him for it. But anyway, they have Jesus uh, invited to the dinner, and the Pharisees are watching them. Now, when you're watching someone, trying to see if they slip up, trying to see if they fall into something, trying to see if they get into the thing, uh, it kind of tells you about the attitude that the Pharisees had when they invited Jesus to come on out. When you invite people out to church with you, when you invite people to hear the gospel, when you invite people just, just into a place where you can share Jesus with them, make sure you don't have an attitude about it. Make sure that your attitude is one of love because people in the world can pick that up. They can pick up, you, you're kind of looking down on me. No, I'll make sure that you, that you don't do that. So were they thankful that Jesus came to dinner? No. Were they grateful for an opportunity to learn from the Master? No. They were trying to catch Him. There's a reason for this. It's because in their own minds, in the minds of the Pharisees, they were exalted and Jesus was criticized. They were exalted and Jesus was criticized. This is a neat story. The way it all flows together. We've covered this a couple of times over the, over the past five, six years. We've covered this story twice. Hopefully this is reminding you of some of these things that were in here because it's important that we get the end part of this. I've put in your outline, we accept or fix what we love and appreciate. We accept... And we fix what we love and we appreciate. Now, I don't know about you, but how many of you have ever gone through some things in your house and you came upon something that was old, that you had for a while, that somebody special gave you or whatever it might be, but you held on to it and it's not working anymore. And what do you, what do you try and do? Maybe, maybe you tried to fix it before and it couldn't be fixed and so you held on to it. Trying to find somebody who can maybe fix this and get it working. Glue it back together. Make it Do whatever you need to do to make it operational, to get it going again. Why do you do that? Because that thing has an exalted position. Because of the sentimental value, because of where it came from, because of who gave it to you, whatever it might be, it has some sentimental value. But there's other times we've had other things in our house that we paid more money for, and when they broke, break and we can't fix it, we just, oh, see ya. You know, the microwave oven you paid some decent money for the microwave oven and if it breaks, what do you do with it? You go get a new one. Because not too many people get attached to their microwave ovens. And they do cost a bit of money to fix. So generally, it's just better to go out there and, and buy a new one. Why in the world try and fix it? But, you know, if somebody gives you something, maybe a piece of jewelry, maybe a lamp that came from something, oh, why don't you try and, and even though it doesn't cost as much as the other things, but it has a, Exalted position in your life. It has something that's this important. You can't replace it. Maybe somebody, uh, a grandparent, a parent, gave you something. And they'd gone on home to be with Jesus, but you still have that there. You want to try and keep that thing around. It has an exalted position. But Jesus is not exalted in their minds. He's criticized. He's criticized. You do not criticize those things that you feel are exalted. What if somebody came in and you got that special thing from that relative, from that person, that put into an exalted position, but it's dated, it's out of, out of, out of, you know, not out of character for, for what's going on now. It just doesn't look like it fits, and people come over. Well, why is that here? And they begin to have a critical attitude towards it. What do you do? You rise right, So its defense. Oh, that's very special to me. And you begin to tell story. The history behind it, it makes that thing special to you. It keeps, it keeps it close close by. My wife has a stool. It's a very old stool. It's a very dated stool. It's a very short stool. The stool really has very few things it can do. Because it's small. Uh, it's, and it's, it's old. And it broke when one of the legs came off. And so, you know what she wanted me to do? Fix it. (laughs) She wanted me to fix it. So we fixed it. And it's built back in operation and it's still there. It'll lift you all of three inches off of the ground. (laughs) But if you ever need that little bit of three inch bump, you know, it's right there for you. (laughs) But, you know, you look at that. Her grandmother's not around anymore. I think she's the one who who made it special for her. But, uh, you know, if something happens to it, she's going to try and fix it. If something happened to the materials on the top of that stool, she's going to try and sew it. Sure, you could go out and you could buy another stool that's bigger, you know, a grown-up one, <laughs> or something like that. But, you know, it's, it, but this doesn't remind her of Grandma. This one does. And so it, it, it has an exalted position then it, it, uh, it, she still uses it. She doesn't just put it in a place to make it look pretty. She uses it and she functions. Because every, how many of you have something like that in your house? And every time you use it, you think about those people and you like the way that it brings you in. It's exalted. It's exalted. When you have something that is exalted in your life, you don't criticize it. You don't criticize it. You want to know if you exalt a thing or not? Just think about it. Do you criticize it? Do you let others criticize it? If you do, it's not exalted. The Pharisees brought Jesus in. They're ready to criticize him because they don't exalt him. It is huge for us to understand this is the city. We accept or fix what we love and appreciate. The rest we criticize and denounce. We criticize and denounce those other things. Understand in 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 this dinner that they're invited to, there are those who once loved and appreciated Jesus Jesus that are here at the dinner. Now become critical and pretty soon will denounce him. Got to ask the question, though, how did they get to such a place? How do you get from such a place where you love and, and adored and treated Jesus one way to a place where now you're critical to a place where you crucify him? How do you get to that place? How do you take something? Because did Jesus lose any of his value? He didn't lose any of his value. He's still just as valuable. He can still heal. He can still minister. He can still teach. He can still bring people into the light. But they began to value it less and less and less. It became less exalted in their life. Verse 7. So he told a parable to those who were invited. Who is he telling the the parable to? Those who are invited to the dinner. When he noted how they chose the best places. Now, always understand this. A parable, people try and pull out all kinds of meanings out of parables. And they take all the little tiny details and they get all kinds of meanings out of it. But understand a parable is a made-up story about events in order to depict a truth about something in particular. There is something that motivates the story. There is something he's trying to get across. And what we have to understand is whenever we hear a parable, what is Jesus? What point is he trying to get across to us? What is he showing us? When he noted how they chose the best places. So we may not understand this, but the way they had it, they would have a big table and people would come over. And there are certain places no matter where you were, what house you were in, there's certain seats that were the honorable ones, and certain ones that were not honorable. So we couldn't quite relate to that exactly the way that they could. But they had all kinds of seats with all kinds of honor all around the table, and you knew where they were when you came in. And he said they're all fighting and trying to get the honorable seats. When um, you know we were in, when I was in Oklahoma, going to winter Bible seminars, my boy family came on down every once in a while. We would go down there and uh, go to the Winter Bible Seminars. The seats of honor were the front seats. They were seats of honor. They were seats that everyone exalted because if you get in the front seat, you get closer to the anointing because we know the anointing only goes so far. <laughs> I don't know what it was. But they would, all, all, they would do all sorts of stuff to get to the front seats. You can't, it doesn't happen in Pennsylvania. I've never seen it happen in Pennsylvania like it happens out there. I've told you the stories. People will wait three, four hours in line to get a seat, to get into the building an hour early. They would wait three or four hours. Some people would get out of the first meeting, have people go and get them something to eat while they turned around and went and sat in line to get back in the building. And they would sit there from noon until the doors would open at 6 and at, at 7 o'clock is when the service would start. That person is exalting what is happening in the meeting. <laughs> That's an exalted position. And, and they had certain value on the front seats. They wanted to get to those front seats. See, when you have a place of honor, you, you, you want to get there. You want to get there for yourself. And what he's trying to say is, he's looking around the room and he sees all these people trying to get to the places of honor for themselves. So he gives him this parable. When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. Another way you could put this is one which the person who put on the feast exalted more than you. They, they held them at a higher position than they did you. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. So, you know, it's, it's, we're trying to make it so you understand this. You got a wedding feast, you got all these people sitting around, and you find a seat. It's an honorable seat, and you take it, and you're sitting there, and everything's going fine for a while. And then all of a sudden, Uncle So and so shows up. And we've got to have a place of honor for Uncle So and so. So they come on up to you because you've got the most honorable seat that's not a relative or not someone that has to move out. And they say, Look, I, I know I invited you, but I also invited Uncle. So-. We didn't think he was going to make it, but he made it, and I need to have a place of honor for him. I need to move you. And so you get moved all the way to the least honorable seats because all the other ones are taken. That's what he's saying. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Isn't that better? It's better to be moved up higher than it is to be sent back. Then you will have glory. In the presence of those who sit at the table with you. What he's saying here is this. If you will take the lower seat, then the guy comes in and says, Oh, wait, you shouldn't be sitting back here. No, no, no. Come on up. And he takes you by the arm and he escorts you up to a higher place. And if someone's sitting there says, I need you to move. And they move him out and put you in the, in the more honorable seat. And everyone saw that you were honored. He said, that's a better way for it to go. I want... I kind of ask this question as we're going through this. What happens if you take the lower position and no one moves you? Then you just stay there. (laughs) Well, you better have your attitude right, otherwise you're going to have some problems. Make sure you have your attitude right. Just be content in the lowest seat. I'm just glad I'm here. Oh, I'm just glad to be here and be part of this. This is great. And then you won't have have that problem. Verse 11, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the point he's trying to get across to people. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. We can take this lesson in, our, in more places than just invitations for dinner. We can take it in all kinds of spots. Make sure, in how you carry yourself, don't be going around waiting for people to exalt you. Ever. If people exalt you, great. But don't get out there and try and exalt yourself. That's a hard thing for us to do sometimes because sometimes we just kind of... My grandfather used to always tell us, well, if you don't blow your own horn, no one else will. (laughs) And you know, sometimes that's true. (laughs) But um, let other people try and reach over and blow it for you. Whoever exalts himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper... see, first off, we're speaking to the guests. Now we're speaking to the guy who did the invitation. When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So what do you say it is? When you give an invitation... Look for people to invite that can't invite you back. They can't do the same thing to you. And not just in dinners, but in other other things. S- sometimes, you know, we want to do things, help things, help, help people for the purpose of, well, then they'll come back and they'll help me. No, just help them. Just do things. Because he says, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Don't Exalt yourself. Let others exalt themselves. Just be grateful. to Just be at the dinner. Oh, this is just fun. I'm just so glad I am at the dinner. I'm so glad I get to be here. Don't be concerned with where you're sitting. Don't be concerned how other people are exalting you. Don't mess with that. Just get out there and exalt other people. Lift them up. That's a whole attitude. You adopt that attitude. It changes the way that you are. If those folks that were at this dinner had that attitude, Jesus wouldn't be in the position he was with the man with dropsy. He goes on. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. You ever been in one of those places where people just shout out stuff? And you wonder, where in the world did that come? What happened there? We don't know what this is about. But anyway, he just shouts out and maybe he's trying to distract onto another topic we don't know what it is, but blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Maybe he's trying to be super spiritual. Uh, I, we don't know. You ever been around some of those super spiritual people? <laughs> one of the most memorable stories I had was Brother, one that Brother Keith Moore shared with us. I uh, heard it on tape. I don't know if I heard him in person tell it. But for a while, he was driving uh, Brother Higgin around to different places. And one of the times that uh, he and his wife were driving Brother Hagen around, Brother Hagen was in the back seat. And as they were driving, all of a sudden, Brother Hagen just let out a, whoo Man, did you feel that? And uh, Brother Keith looked at his wife, and he said, I was tempted to say, yeah. Wow, that was awesome. <laughs> oh. But I didn't feel anything, he said. So I just was honest with him. And I said, I'm sorry. I, I didn't feel anything. Brother Haggad said, Nope, neither did I. <laughs> oh man, he would have been in all kinds of trouble if he said something else. <laughs> but anyway, you got this man who just blurted this thing out. Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. What's the purpose of this story? This guy blurted out, Blessed is he who eats bread in the kingdom of God. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. How many of us have run into that when people we invited people at the church? They do what? And they make excuses. Well, I can't go. It's too early. Well, it was just as early last week when I invited you. Well, I can't go, it might rain. You go to work when it rains? Well, I can't go, uh, I have to go shopping. Well, I can't go, uh, you know, they, they come up with all kinds of reasons, right? What's the main reason? They're exalting something else over, going to church with you. So a certain man gave a great supper, invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. You know, it's kind of like when mom says, dinner, it's dinner time. Now you, you have all kinds of reactions that happen with that. First off, what happens if you had a late lunch? You're not as—it's not as urgent, is it? You're not quite as hungry. What happens if you skip lunch? Does it change the way that you respond? <laughs> if you were too busy, skip lunch, and uh, and and uh, just went on, and you're hungry. Dinner's ready now. Oh, I'm there. But they are all, all with one accord. Just because people are in one accord don't mean they're right. Just because people are all in harmony, all doing the same thing, all in agreement, does not mean that they're right. You know, they all, the news media is always trying to promote polls as if, well, this must be true because 60% of the people, well, it could be that 60% of the people are wrong. It don't mean that it mean anything just because people say it. Plus, you can also change the way you phrase the question and get the answer that you want. But just because people are in one accord does not make it God, does not make it right. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, "I have found a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Well, of course, we've gone over these things before. But who in the world goes and buys any kind of ground and hasn't seen it yet?" you got to at least get out there and see. You've got to make sure it's not some swamp land or some uh, thing that you don't necessarily want. got to make sure that it has the value. If you already paid the price for it, you had to somehow assess the value of the thing. I'm sure it would be there right after dinner. The ground doesn't usually move around too much. I ask you have me excused. Well, least he's polite about it, right? And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Well, would you buy a car without test driving it? That's the same thing with these guys. I mean, would you buy a tractor without test driving it? Knowing how it's going to function, whether it's going to do what you needed it to do. I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Well, can you go and test the yoke of oxen afterwards? Surely you can. What's the problem? We are exalting the oxen. We are exalting the ground over the invitation. Over the dinner, over being in the presence of the one who gave the invitation. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now that almost sounds legitimate. <laughs> Except at the time of the invitation, don't you think he would have known? Oh, that's right on the time I'm supposed to get married. Boy, I would love to come, but you know, it'd be awful hard for us to move that whole thing around. Now it seems more that he got the invitation and then made plans, well, you know, we can, we can get married on Saturday. Well, Saturday supposed to be over at Joe's house. Well, Joe will understand. It almost seems like it's something like that. Of course, back then they didn't do weddings real real quick. So I'm not sure how that happened, but it almost sounds legitimate. But I married a wife and therefore I cannot, cannot come. guess he couldn't bring her either. Because, you know, wives, they don't like to go out to dinner. <laughs> so that servant came and reported these things to his master. Well, who came? No one. They all, with one accord, all had excuses. We just get three of the excuses. You all know that there's probably a whole lot more. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to his servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Remember this story came out because a guy blurts out as Jesus was going on about talking about seating positions, about what you exalt, about being exalted, about being humbled. And he begins to give them this story. This is a made up story. He can make it be exactly the way he wants it. He says those people who were invited, they're not going to get it. Now what he is speaking to here is that first off, the Jewish people had the invitation and they're all too busy to come to Jesus. So he says, all right, go out there, the highways and byways, get in the Gentiles. Bring in the Gentiles. Bring them all on in. And we're going to go out and then you folks who were invited, you're not going to be able to get in. We're not going to have any room for you. Now, this dinner, it was an event. For most people that got the invitation, the dinner was an event. How many of you have events in your life? And we got events every day. We got some important events. We got some not so important events. We got some bad events. We got some events that we wish weren't going to happen, but we have some events we are looking forward to. Did you have any events this week that went on and you're looking forward? Oh, I can't wait until such and such a day because this is happening. This is going on. Whatever it might be. Uh, Some kind of special show, maybe on TV, a movie you're going out to see, dinner. Plans, whatever it might be, something's going on. You got an event. You got a place you're going to go to. Something is coming up. It's going to be special. Well, as that event is exalted in your mind, other things that come up are 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 not going to be able to supplant that because this event has a higher exalted position in your life. But for these folks, the dinner was an event, but it was not an exalted event. It was not an event that they looked at as being exalted. It was just an event. It was just something that was going to happen. It was easy for other things to be exalted over it. It was easy for other things to come in and cloud up the schedule. And Well, we just were going to do this instead. I was going to go over there and do that, but no, I think I'll do this over instead. Something else became exalted over it. But by going to the poor, the main, the lame, the blind, the feast would be the most exalted thing in their lives and they would come. That's why we went out to them because they didn't have a whole lot in their life. And this would become the most exalted thing that they would have. Oh, I get to go to so-and-so's house. They have dinner. Oh. For some of these folks that run out there and get in the, on the highways, they don't even have... Nice dinners. We're going to get to have a dinner on plates and sit at a table and have silverware and cloth napkins. Wow. And they begin to exalt this thing in their minds. Oh, what do I have that I can wear? And they may even come up and say, oh, I would love to come. Oh, I would so much, but I don't have anything appropriate to wear. That's okay. I want you to come just as you are. We just want to have you there. Well, if you're okay with that, nothing else became exalted. This was the greatest thing in the world. This was the event. This was what they needed to be there for. Now, here's a question. How to keep God and the things that matter to Him in the most exalted place? Because what happens a lot of times in our lives is the things that should be exalted, the things in our life, that God has put there, that He wants to bring great dividends for us, we have not exalted the way they once did. It's downplayed a little bit. Then a little bit more. And then a little bit more. How do we keep God and the things that matter to Him in the most exalted place? If you want to make sure that you keep yourself out of having a stubborn heart, You've got to make sure that you have a heart like God. Because God's heart is not stubborn. God's heart is not hard. God's heart is the ideal heart. God has the model heart. His heart is how we should be. And yet with some people, he's been very stern. With some people, or in in, in some things, he is like, this will not change. This is how it's going to be you either come to me by faith or you don't. Here's the first thing. How do we keep God in the things that matter to Him in the most exalted position? How do we make sure that, that God and the things that He sees is important, how do we make sure they stay in the most exalted position so that other things don't get exalted over them? Have you ever known people who they used to be in church all the time? They used to be listening to CDs, tapes, They used to be watching services on TV. They used to have their nose in the Bible all the time and then now you catch up with them and what are they doing? Hardly ever go to church. Hardly ever listen to anything. Hardly ever read anything about the Word. Don't ever have their nose in the Bible anymore. What happened? What was exalted became less exalted. First thing we do it. Be thankful and grateful. The people at the feast... They invited Jesus. We're not thankful that Jesus came. They were not grateful that Jesus came. They invited him out because we want to try and get him in something. Be thankful and be grateful. For everything that you have, be thankful and be grateful. We asked you this question uh, some weeks ago. But how many of you are believing God for a dream car? You have a dream car. You know what it is. If I were to ask you what's your dream car, you would say exactly what that car is. Probably the color. Some of the options you went inside, you know exactly what that car is, what you want. You want to have that? Be thankful and be grateful for the car that you have. Treat that car as if it is the best thing in the world. Be thankful and be grateful. Every time you come out to that car, don't have an attitude that says, oh, this old thing, all this heap of junk. I don't even know why I keep driving this thing. Oh, this is terrible. No, I don't have a thankful, grateful attitude not going to be right. You got to keep that way. Be thankful and grateful for everything that you have. Be willing to take the lowest seat in the feast and be happy with it. And if no one ever comes over to exalt you and move you up to a higher spot, that's fine. If no one ever exalts you and moves you up to a higher job than one you got, that's fine. I am going to be happy doing this. I will be content in doing this. What you'll find out is if you get content and happy in doing what God wants you to do, I mean truly content, truly happy, to where you do whatever it is that your hand has found to do for God, you will not be able to keep yourself down because other people will come and find you. Oh, what are you doing over there on that thing? Come on over here under this thing over here. Come on over here and, and work on this spot over here. How many have ever thought, I'm not doing any, anything important for God? Anybody ever thought that? No, I'm not doing anything important for God. I'm just here just doing stuff i don't know waiting for jesus to come back i'm not doing anything important you know why you're not doing anything important because you don't consider what you are doing as important you don't consider it that way you don't have your eyes open to find things that are out there to do you're waiting for somebody to come along now my parents did one thing when they raised me among other things they did a lot of things obviously i i kept them very busy But one of the things that they did when they raised me was they taught me how to find work. They taught me how to see what needed to be done. I guarantee you, I was not the most willing student. But it eventually did get through. And the place I noticed it the most is when the first first night I worked over at Ken's Pizza down in uh, Oklahoma. That was the first job I had that was with a real corporation. It wasn't just a little hometown shop kind of a thing. It's a real corporation. And uh, they gave me the job. You know, when you first start there, you do all you do is you wash dishes. Who cares about washing dishes? It's just washing dishes. Doggone. I'm gonna find out how to wash dishes better. I'm gonna find out how to wash dishes faster. I'm gonna find out what the waitresses need. I'm gonna find out what it is we gotta get through, and they are not gonna be hurting for dishes as long as I'm back there. That's my attitude. I don't care if they remove me up to cook, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the best doggone dishwasher they ever saw. And so I was out there, and I would ask the waitresses, you know, what what are you in need of? How are you in need of it? I would talk to people. They would show me how they would run things through to get things to to, to be good and to be be efficient. I found the ways. I found shortcuts of ways of how to, you take all the bowls and all the plates, and you stack them up in the corner because in the corner, you can just take those things and throw them back there real fast, and they all just find their equilibrium, and they all get stacked, and you take the hose and you spray them all down. You get that water in there because it starts to soak some of the dried pizza sauce off of the things and you let them sit there for just a few minutes while you stack some of the other things in and you stack all them through and you run them through. Always run the cups through first because if you run the cups through first, they they absorb the grease from the, the other things. So you want the cups to run through first. You want the plates to soak in there. And then we had a way to soak the, the knives and the forks so that they would come clean as well. And then you start putting some of the things that you're soaking because they have been soaking for a little bit. And we put those things on through and I could get dishes whipped out in no time at all. No time at all. But the first night I was there, I was they were there, they sweeping and we swept and I would go underneath the oven because they had these big old ovens in there. And I'd sweep underneath the oven and I would go underneath the make table and I sleep underneath the make table. And then when they were mopping, I'd take the mop and I didn't just mop the floor. I went all the way back into the oven and I mopped there. You know why? I don't know. I really didn't know. It's just, that's what you do. Because that's what mom always told me that, you know, you mop under things. I always knew you mopped under stuff. And so I just did it. And my manager stopped me in the middle of me mopping the store. And he says, what are you doing? I'm mopping the floor. Who told you to go underneath the oven? Nobody told me to go underneath the oven. I'm just mopping the floor. I have not been able to get anybody to mop under the the ovens. This is amazing. I'm still totally flabbergasted. It is amazing that people mop under an oven in a pizza restaurant. Really? But it was amazing to them. They couldn't imagine it. And you see, it didn't take more than a couple of weeks of me being there, I became one of the ones they depended on the most because I had an eye to see what needed to be done. Get an eye to see what needs to be done. And don't sit around and wait for people to tell you stuff. Look around and say, what needs to be done? And when you find something that needs to be done, you do it and put it into an exalted position. And if you put that into an exalted position, oh, I'll tell you what. You will treat it differently. You will put effort into that and people will see that effort that you put into that and they will move you into things that are, not not that that's not important, but they will take you and put you into other stuff because you exalted it. One of the things that I learned when I was doing restaurant stuff, and how many have ever worked in a restaurant? Anybody ever worked in a restaurant? If you ever worked in a restaurant, one of the things that they preach to you all the time is rotate, rotate the product. You have to rotate the cans. You have to rotate the cheese. You have to rotate the meat, whatever it is that you are putting in. You have to rotate, take the old stuff, move it to the front, use the old stuff first, go and use the the new stuff last. And we would do this all the time. They would drum this into our brains, rotate, rotate, rotate. And eventually, I got that to the place where I had it in an exalted position in my life, and I exalted the idea of rotation. And if anyone in the restaurant did not rotate the cheese, oh, I was all over them. We How can we have this cheese that is dated a week older behind this cheese? You didn't rotate it right. I got that so exalted in my life. I got it so drummed home in my life. To this day, I still. I laugh at myself when I do it, but I cannot stop. I rotate sandpaper. Every time I get a new order of sandpaper in, I laugh at myself when I do it, but I can't stop. I get new sandpaper in, I always take the new sandpaper and move it behind the old sandpaper so that I use the new sandpaper, the old sandpaper first. Now, sandpaper doesn't go bad. It would be easier just to put the new sandpaper in front of the old sandpaper because when I order it, I order three, four, five boxes of the, of each kind of Each grit, and I have rows of each grit lined up so that I can see when each grit's beginning to wear down and I need to go get them. I rotate sandpaper. I rotate other stuff that has no expiration date. But I don't have anything in the shop that has an expiration date. So, I just rotate because it, it, it got into my life. It got into a place where I became exalted. And now, I rotate everything. If I'm at home, I even rotate toilet paper. Move the old stuff to the back. Move the new stuff to the front. you gotta exalt, You got to exalt the things in your life. Treat them with the utmost reason. If You know why I, we rotated? Because it was important to the people who were over us. It wasn't important to us. We didn't buy the stuff. We didn't buy the cheese. If the cheese went bad, it didn't cost us any money. But it costed somebody else some money because it was important to them, we did it. But you know what? I found out that if I took the things that were important to my boss and exalted those things that were important to him or her and made them important to me, then they were more likely to exalt me. They were more likely to promote me. They were more likely to give me a raise. So whenever I I was in the shop, whenever I was in the the restaurant, whatever job I was in, I never stood around. I began to look around. What needs to be done? Not what do I have to do. There's no dishes to wash. What else needs to be done? Well, there's some tables that are dirty. I would go out and I would bust some of the tables. Why? Because they need to be done and I'm here. I learned how to answer the phone. Because I found out what was important. I had a job down in uh, the Upper Moreland Parks Recreation. And I ran the park for a little while. You know how hard it is to run a park? You show up in the morning, sit a, on the bench, wait for people to come, take care of some of the things that they need. At the end of the day, you lock it up and you go home. It's a really complicated job. I was thankful that I had already gone a, couple of, uh, a year at least to college before I uh, took that on. Such a such a difficult job to have done. But, you know, we're sitting around in there and they had a few other things that would go on in the park as well. One of them was a the basketball league. They had a basketball league that would go on. And so um, I'm sitting there at the park. And so as, the, you know, rain would come, you had to cancel the basketball activities. And so I would uh, call up the place. Well, if, if you want, give me the phone numbers. And while I'm sitting here and I have a phone, I'll call all the people. Oh, man, that, would you do that? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm just sitting here. And I would call all the people. And I, I would find more things to do. And I, I, pretty soon, on to me, I was running the league. And at the end of this, after, I only worked there for the three, four months in the summer. At the end of the summer, they came to me and said, if you want to come back next year, we're not going to have you run a park. We want you to run something in the township. They actually told me this. We want you to run something. That, we we're going to bring you into the township building. We're going to have you run something else. Because they liked what he did. If you will look around, And find the things that need to be done. If you will take what your boss sees as exalted and exalted in your own life, you will find yourself promoted. You will find yourself with a pay raise. You will find yourself indispensable. But you've got to take that effort. You've got to take that that move. And you've got to have this attitude that says, I am thankful and I am grateful. I am thankful for this job. I am grateful for this job. How many all know you can tell the people who come into work who are not thankful and not grateful? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can also tell the ones that are thankful and grateful. Be one of those because they're the ones people like to keep around. Psalms 100 verse 4 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For since uh, in Romans chapter 1 verse 20 for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and godhead so that they are without excuse because although they knew God they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened you want to make sure you keep yourself in an attitude that is steady and not stubborn be thankful. Be grateful. You want to get yourself in a place where you keep God exalted? Be thankful and be grateful. One more. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Be thankful. That's just three verses where we are commanded to be thankful. Make sure you stay that way. Number two. Number one, be thankful and be grateful. Number two, treasure what God treasures. Or exalt what God exalts. What God looks at as being exalted, you exalt it. But treasure what God treasures. If God says this is important, it becomes important to you because God said it was important. If you ever, you ever see those books they have out, you know, successful people write books and people buy them and make them more successful and they get more money, but the people buy books because they want to see what did you do and how did you order your day? What kind of things did you make is important? What, how did you do that? And they, they hear the things that they made important in their, their lives and what do they do? Stephen Covey had that book. He put out the seven habits of highly successful people. He was showing things that people did as a habit. In other words, they exalted these things so that people would say, oh, they exalted this. So therefore, if I exalt that, it'll help me. Treasure what God treasures. Number three, do what is important to God first. Do what is important to God first. Very often, we do what is important to us. When you are on the, bo- on the job, you have a boss. What things should you do first in the day? The things that the boss sees as important. Whether you think they're important or not, whether you can see other things that need to be done. You, do you want me to? I have these other things in there. Which one do you consider to be more important? I need that one done. Very good. I will get that done. And you do that. Treasure what God treasures do what is important to God first and be thankful and grateful if you can keep those three things going on in your life you will keep God exalted you will keep the things that are important to him important to you God's going to be looking out and he's going to be saying, look at that one down here look at how they are so concerned if I say that this is important oh think back to, to the days when you were dating And it's important for you to win over the affections of that person that you are dating. And you are walking by a store window, you know, because when you're single and dating, you have all kinds of time. (laughs) And you're walking on by the store windows and you go on by this one store window and the person that you're dating suddenly looks inside. Oh, look at that. And you begin to. Yeah, that's nice. Do you like that? Oh, I do like that. What do you do? I make a note, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> and, you know, Christmas, birthday, something's coming up. I may be wandering in that store to, to get that thing. Why? Because the person that I want to be important to me has told me what was important to them. And then, you know, you bring that thing on home. And, uh, oh, I love this. Where did you ever get the idea to get this? Well, remember when we were walking in the shops and we walked by the window and you saw that? I remember what you remembered that. Yeah, I remembered that. What's that saying? The words that you speak are important to me, and I'm going to remember them. The things that you value are valuable to me, and I'm going to put value to them. How many of you guys have bought pieces of jewelry that you did not value yourself, but your spouse did? Your spouse saw some value in it. How many of you wives bought some things, some gadgets? that you saw no value in, but your husband had value in it. Why did you do it? Exactly. Be, think, and do like God and have His heart. Have His heart. The heart of God. If you go through the Word of God, you will find out that the heart of God is after a a few things. God loves to spoil, bestow good things on And protect his kids. He loves it. He loves giving things to his kids. That's one of the things that... You can understand that. How many of you love to give things to your kids or your grandkids? How many of you just, oh, if I get to give that, oh, it's just so much fun. You look forward to it. You couldn't wait for that day to give the things to them. That's how God is. God loves to give things to his kids. God loves to have more kids. He loves to have more kids. Remember the, when you were maybe, a, maybe more so as a grandparent because, you know, when you're a parent and the kids, you get the news for the kids, sometimes it's mixed with, oh, we got to pay for that. But, you know, when it's grandparents, you don't have to pay for it. <laughs> so it can be much better news. You get news about, oh, grandkids are on the way. Oh, you get excited. Oh, the kids are on the way. Oh, the, you get excited. God gets excited about having more kids. There's so much in the Word of God about going out and inviting people going out and compelling people to come in the part of the heart of God is to invite people into the family it means a lot to God to have the house full if you take the things that are important to God and make them important to you if you do what is important to God first before you do anything else if you continue to have that attitude of being thankful and being grateful, it changes you on the inside and you will begin to have the heart of God. The heart of God will get a hold of you because you are treasuring the things that he treasures, because you are doing the things that he would do, and because you're just always thankful and grateful because he has commanded us to do so. If I don't know if I put this in your outline, but it's in mine. If God is not exalted above all, then I will find myself at some point like those who reject the invitation. If God is not exalted above all, at some point I'm going to find myself just like those people who rejected the invitation. I may not get there overnight, but at some point I'm going to get to a place where I really appreciate you inviting me. But you know, I got uh, I got to go see some land. I got you know it's just some things going on. Appreciate you inviting me, but. No, can't do it right now. Be thankful, be grateful. Think the thoughts of God. Treasure what God treasures. That's thinking the thoughts of God. And do what is important to God first. And God has shared us His heart. How He likes to spoil His kids, how He likes healing power to go for those who are sick and how we are called to, to spread that out, to Help those that are bound up to be free, to spread the light. These are important things to God. But he also wants us to be people who go out and share the light. Last week we saw the woman at the well. Jesus wanted his disciples to be ones who would go and harvest those who were ready. Here in this one he says, go out and compel those that are by the highways, by the hedges, by the wayside. Get them in. Get the poor, get the sick, get the needy. Whoever you can get, get them, and bring them in. If they are important to God, they need to be important to us. In the same way that a boss exalts, promotes, and gives raises to those who value the things that he values. Those same people, the ones that God looks for. He's saying, who is taking the things that are important to me? taking in the heart we're going out September the 16th we want to have people come on out to church we want to get, you've been inviting some people, they've been turning you down go out and get the people that are easy to get, the ones who oh, you you would want me to come to church with you on Sunday oh man, this would be great, invite those folks invite the poor invite the main, and don't you take it as anything impersonal to you Because Jesus gave the story and said, here's this great guy who gave this wonderful invitation to a beautiful meal in a great house. And people said, eh, eh, I'm not going to do it. Before we finish, we roll our invitation. Here is one way to do an invitation. It's the, the other one. I can't hear you at all. Yeah, the one we started playing first. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, burying your cat, Mr. Bootsy. I loved Mr. Bootsy. I guess you love Mr. Bootsy too, huh? Because he's your cat, Well, was your cat. Hey, I got an idea. Why don't you come to church with me? Because all cats go to heaven, and if you go to church with me, you can find out what happened to Mr. Bootsy. I don't think that's the way it works. Yeah, I think it is. No, that's accurate. I don't think it is. That's what happens. I don't think it does. All cats go to heaven. It's not the way it works. Are you calling me a liar? So do you want to go to church with me? All right. So that's not the way to invite people out to church. But there are other ways that you can invite people out to church. People we want you to invite are your neighbors. People we want you to invite are people that you work with. People who want you to invite, and we have another one next week, for people that you work with. We'll show you that one. you got to be here next Sunday to see it. Tell them it's National Back to Church Sunday. Takes it out of just you being invited them out for Sunday. We're going to have some special things going on in here. We want you, when you invite them on out, tell them. Look, we'll, go out to, we'll take you out to lunch afterwards. We'll bring you over to our house afterwards. for Whatever it is that you can do, I'll offer that to them. Because this is important to God. If it's important to God and we make it important to us, that gets us on God's map. In the same way that I get on the map of people that I work with by doing what's important to them, I get on God's map. The Word of God says that He's looking to and fro for people on whom to show show Himself strong. He's looking for people that He can work through. He's working for people that He can use. People that have taken what is important to God They've gone through the Word of God and said, Father God, you said this was important to you. Therefore, it is important to me. And I'm going to do this. Get on out there. Find some people. September 16th, we're going to invite them on out. We're going to have some uh, food and some things over here. We're going to do some, probably do some things in the area of healing for those who if you want to bring out some folks that are sick. Bring them on out. But don't just look for the, the, the easy one. Look for the blind, as he puts in here. The blind, the maim, the poor, the down and out. The people have no other place. If you need to, on your way to church, and you see the homeless guy on the street corner begging for money, put him in your car. Bring him on up. Go get, because he's, he's still alive. He's still someone that God wants to bring. Bring out people who don't smell so good. It's okay. Bring out people who need Jesus. If you can catch the heart of God for people, you can begin to get God's heart. If you get God's heart, you will never be stubborn. You will always be steadfast if you can get God's heart. And you can. I gave you three things to focus on. You do those three things, you're going to catch the heart of God. Real easy to do. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. We are going to go out and we are going to be people who invite, who compel to bring people on in that they may see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they may believe and be saved. If a woman from Samaria who was untaught, uneducated, did not know anything about the word of God, even what she did know was wrong, was able to be dispatched into a city and bring out a harvest of people, we can surely do better because we know your word. We know our God. How much better can we... How much better equipped are we? Satan always wants to try and disqualify us. Tell us how bad a job we're doing. But Father, we can do it. I thank you for the help that you give us. We are your army. And we are going out into this world to bring them in. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. September 16th, start to work on some people. Begin to pray for them. Begin to intercede. Father God, I thank you. When I go out there and I make that invitation, they're going to receive... Father God, bring me to people. You, you don't just have to invite people that you know. Look for the opportunity to invite people that you don't know yet. But you're going to meet this week or next week. Look for people. And then bring them on out. Have a great week. We'll see some of you here on Wednesday.